Well, good morning. Glad you guys are here. So good to be together and uh, to gather together to worship God. Um, we are going to continue our series, uh, The Final Days of Jesus. Uh, grab your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 25. That's where we're going to be, the last part of that chapter, starting in verse 31. It's kind of where we're going we're gonna to pick up. Um, but let me, let me just pray as you guys grab your Bibles. Let me pray and uh, ask God to be with us as we hear his word this morning. Dear God, we thank you so much for your presence here. Uh, we thank you for your spirit enlightening our minds, helping us to understand well. We thank you for your spirit in engaging our hearts. And, and Lord, help us to embrace what you would have for us this morning. And uh, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the message, uh, the timely message that it has for us this morning. I pray these things in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I don't know what you were hoping for as you got up this morning. I don't know if you got up thinking, boy, I hope he doesn't talk about Corona. Or if you got up thinking, boy, I hope he talks about Corona. And uh, I, I, so I, I don't know what you, where you were this morning. I hate to break it to you, or I'm glad to answer. I'm going to talk about Corona a little bit. <laughs> so which, whichever side of that fence you are on, I don't know. Um, you may be tired of it. I'm not going to give a lot of advice. I think there's a lot of advice out there about how to handle all that stuff, and I'm not qualified to do that. Uh, so I'm not going to do that, <laughs> all right? Um, we'll let others do those kinds of things. Um, but COVID-19, the coronavirus, as you know, has reached worldwide pandemic levels. Um, and so you can't escape people talking about it. It's everywhere. As a matter of fact, uh, my wife and I went out to dinner with my daughter and her husband last night. And they wanted to take us to a new uh, cafe restaurant. We do kind of burn family dinner uh, on a regular basis, and we tried to do that, and that was last night. And th- we were with them, and it was, uh, we went to a Greek, a little Greek uh, restaurant. It was, it was good. We enjoyed our time, but we were talking about corona, and, and, and I think Paul was at one point, he's like, can we, can we change the subject? <laughs> so maybe that's how you feel this morning, and, and I assure you that's not what we're going to do the whole time, but you can't get away from it. It follows us everywhere. Um, you know the story. China got hit very hard. Italy has been hit hard. Uh, the death rate is who knows. Um, depends on what source you're reading and what expert you're listening to, and, and I have no idea, so I'm not going to even guess at that. Um, someday maybe we'll have some idea. Uh, it's, it's, been, it's, it's been taking over the world, the news cycle. Um, I've been watching a lot less news because it just repeats the same thing over and over again. But you've got to watch some of it. And, uh, and we really don't know how this is all going to turn out. So far there's been about 160,000 confirmed cases worldwide, about 6,000 deaths, and, and about 70,000 who have uh, con- been confirmed who have recovered. But here's the one thing that I will tell you and does enter into my wheelhouse as far as expert is concerned, I guess. And that is this. God is not panicking. He's not surprised. He's, he didn't get blindsided. He didn't go, oh my goodness, where did this come from? Uh, God was not surprised. And he's not panicking. And I'd like you to consider these scriptures. And we're going to put several of them up in a row. And Psalm Chapter 20, verse 7, it says this. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. As a matter of fact, let me, let me maybe change a few of those words. I'm not gonna, what I'm saying is not going to actually be Scripture, but perhaps it will help us transition, transfer it from that context to this. Some trust in scientists, some trust in politicians, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. John chapter 14, verses 25 through 27. 
All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Matthew chapter 6, verses 33 and 34. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Matthew, or I mean Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Psalm 56, verses 3 and 4. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God, whose word I praise. In God I trust and am not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Maybe I'll reread that one as well. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God, whose word I praise. In God I trust you and am not afraid. What can a mere virus do to me? <laughs> First Chronicles chapter 29, verse 11. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor of everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. And the last one I'll read to you this morning regarding that is this. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 4. The Lord works out everything to its proper end, even the wicked for a day of disaster. I could go on. I could have picked 20 more verses and read them all to you. The point is this, that God is in control. He is not surprised. He is sovereign over all things. And our faith and our trust is in him. That does not mean be foolish. He gave us a head and we should use it. But it does mean trust in the Lord. Uh, And so hopefully, as we're navigating these things, you're thinking about these things. I also wanted to read to you something C.S. Lewis wrote about the coronavirus. Yes, I realize he wasn't actually writing about the coronavirus. He was writing about the atomic bomb, is what he was writing about. But I think it's relevant to t- today, and I took the liberty of changing a few words from like atomic bomb to coronavirus, some things like that. And I want to read what he wrote to you at a time uh, when people were going through a crisis related to warfare and the atomic bomb, which was a new thing at the time and very scary. He wrote this. In one way, we think a great deal too much of the coronavirus. How are we to live in the corona age? I'm tempted to reply, why, as you would have lived in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year, or as you would have lived in a Viking age when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat any night. Or indeed, as you are already living in an age of cancer, an age of syphilis, an age of paralysis, an age of viruses, an age of railway accidents, an age of car accidents. In other words, do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Believe me, dear sir or madam, you and all whom you love were already sentenced to death before the coronavirus was discovered. And quite a high percentage of of us were going to die in unpleasant ways. We had indeed one very great advantage over our ancestors, anesthetics. But we have that still. 
It is perfectly ridiculous to go about whimpering and drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of a painful and premature death to a world which already bristled with such chances and in which death itself was not a chance at all but a certainty. This is the first point to be made. And the first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. If we are all going to be destroyed by the coronavirus, let that virus, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things. Praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing children, playing tennis, catching, uh, chatting to our friends over a pint. I said, it was C.S. Lewis, all right. <laughs> and a game of darts, not huddled together, like frightened sheep, sheep, thinking about the coronavirus. It may break our bodies, but it need not dominate our minds. I think those are wise, wise words from C.S. Lewis. And, and those were actually his words minus the coronavirus references, okay? And he, he wrote that, and I think that those are wise words. And, and so as we think about what's happening and schools being canceled and events are being canceled and those kinds of things, uh, let us heed those two things. Let us remember who is sovereign and in control. And let us know that uh, this is not really that new in, the hu- in human history. So we're going to continue in our series, The Final Days of Jesus. And uh, in our series, it's still Tuesday, right? So Sunday was Palm Sunday. Monday, Jesus turned over the tables and cursed the fig tree. And, and Tuesday, they found that fig tree, by the way, and it was withered. But Jesus did a lot of teaching on Tuesday. And in Matthew chapter 24 and 25, we've been kind of working our way through that. So in that, in that way, it's still Tuesday, Jesus is still teaching, and uh, the parables that we talked about last week, I, I had a quote from J.C. Ryle that I'll read to you again that I think summed up those two parables that we talked about last week pretty well. It says, says this, the story of the, virgins, of the virgins calls on the church to watch. The story of the talents calls on the church to work. So Jesus continued his teaching after talking about those two stories, the story of the, the, the parable of the virgin, the parable of the talents, and he continues with something that's not really a, a parable, that he, but he uses an analogy, although people refer to it as a parable often with the sheep and the goats. And he continues this, his teaching in Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 31, and we're going to read that whole section all the way to the end of the chapter. Here's what it says. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, He will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, And you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty, and give you something to drink? When did we we see you a stranger and invite you in, or, or, or needing clothes and clothes you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did, one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. 
I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did you see, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. It's a hard scripture to read, isn't it? It's convicting in so many ways, and it's one of those scriptures we read it, and we may initially come to some conclusions about that text that really aren't what the text is addressing. And so I want to work our way through that this morning as we kind of look at these, these final days and these, this teaching of Jesus only a few days before he would go to the cross. And again, he is still not focusing on the cross. He's not focusing on what would happen that weekend. He is still looking off into the distant future, off into, the, into his kingdom and his second, second coming. And he's focusing the, the, the eyes of the apostles on that. When Jesus returns in this, in this teaching, the nations will be called to stand before him, it tells us. The nations, everyone, will stand before him and he will begin to judge. And, and, and he will judge them based on how they have treated the least of these brothers and sisters of mine. The brothers and sisters here are most likely referring to those who are followers of Jesus. The disciples and their spiritual descendants, if you will. And so the, the judgment, the, the standard for the judgment is, is going to be, he's going to look at the nations who have gathered before him, and as he judges, it's, it's how did you treat my people? How did you treat them? And that's the standard of his judgment. And I know what you might be thinking. You might be thinking, wait a minute, I'm not, I don't know if I've ever heard anybody say that about this story. I'm not sure that's quite right. But I think you'll find that this is right as we work our way through the text. This is what Jesus is doing, and it's not so much a work salvation that he's judging. Something else is happening here. A different point is being made, and I want to help you guys see that point. The brothers and sisters are, are most likely followers of Jesus, the disciples, and their spiritual descendants, and the judgments of the nations and how they have treated the least of those brothers and sisters. I would say this, that this helps us understand an important truism and that is this the people of god love the people of god the people of god love the people of god this is not a story about earning your salvation or treating the poor well although that is certainly included in the story something else is being said here the nations of the world and how they treat the people of god this is somewhat nuanced and so i want you to Pay attention, close. So I want you to hear what I'm saying. Sometimes, you know, you get up and you speak in front of people enough, and, and it's probably very regular. People go home and go, did he say that, or did he say this? And, they, and, and I, I get misquoted and, and, and things like that, or people misunderstand. So I want you to listen very carefully, because it often happens when you try to say something with a little bit of nuance, and people kind of hear part of it, or, or something like that, and then they kind, of, they kind of take a different message than what you were trying to communicate. So I want you to So listen carefully to what I'm about to say. This is not saying that if you treat the least of the people of God well, that you get to go to heaven. Instead, it is suggesting that how a person treats the least of these brothers and sisters of mine is evidence of one's own relationship with God. Did you catch that? I'm going to read that again, and I read it because I wanted to be like very careful about the words I said. Listen again. This is not saying 
that if you treat the least of the people of God well, that you will get to go to heaven. Instead, it is suggesting that how a person treats the least of these brothers and sisters is evidence of one's own relationship with God. Let me see if I can break that down a little bit. What's being preached here, what Jesus is saying, is not that, that in order to go to heaven, you must do a bunch of right things and good things to people who are in need or to people who are strangers or, or so on and so forth. Now, he's not saying you shouldn't do those things, of course. He's, we absolutely should do those things. And there's many texts in, in Scripture, Old Testament and New, that tell us that we need to treat those who, who are in need well, that we need to, to, to supply their needs. That's all very, very important. And he's even saying that to some degree in this passage. But when it comes to our salvation, what's not being said is that if you do these things, in other words, if you buy enough meals for the person who's hungry, if you have enough people into your home who are strangers, if you clothe enough people who didn't have clothes, if you do enough of that, that somehow you will gain entrance into the kingdom of God, that's not what Jesus is saying. Instead, what he is saying is this. He is saying that how... We treat the least and the lost of these brothers and sisters of his is evidence of our pre-existing relationship with him. John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35 says this. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. In other words, John comes and he says, and he says this in 1 John in, in a different way as well. He kind of comes and he says, look, how you treat each other is evidence of your relationship with God. How you treat one another, that's really important. If you love one another, then people will know that you are a Christian. If you love one another. As a matter of fact, Francis Schaeffer wrote a little, little book. It's really really small book, but it's really, really good, and it's called The Mark of the Christian. And in it, this is what he says about about that passage in John chapter 13. He says, that's pretty frightening. Jesus turns to the world and says, I have something to say to you. On the basis of my authority, I give you a right. You may judge whether or not an individual is a Christian on the basis of the love he shows to all Christians. Let that sink in for a second. In other words, Jesus comes, right, in John John chapter 13, a new command, love one another, right? And, and, And they will know you are a Christian by how you love one another. So if you love one another poorly, the world would look at you and say, and say, you're not a Christian, and Jesus gives them that right to make that judgment. On the flip side, how we love one another we love one another well, Jesus is giving the right to the, to the world to judge that, and they will know that we are Christians because they see our love for one another. It's exactly what's happening in this passage in Matthew 25. The passage, the judgment is based on the love shown to the least of the brothers and sisters. The Son of Man, it says, will separate the sheep and the goats, right? Which is a common thing. A, a shepherd in the first century, they might be out grazing and things uh, during the day, and they would, they would separate them, they would split them apart at, at night. 
And, and, and the sheep could withstand some cold weather better than the goats. The goats would need to be kind of be huddled together, if you will. And so they would, they would kind of put them on one side and, and the sheep on the other side. This was a common practice that would have made a lot of sense to people in the first century. And so, and so Jesus is making, the Son of Man is making this determination. He's standing there in judgment, judging the nations based on how they've loved one another, the least of the brothers and sisters of mine. And if, and if you've loved well, then you're placed in the sheep, you're in the sheep category. And if you haven't loved well, you're in the, in the goat category and you're separated. And it talks about where each group will go. That is the standard of judgment being made in this as Jesus gives this teaching. Well, what's interesting about this is he separates them, right? He has the sheep and, and they go to one side and their inheritance is the kingdom. Their, the inheritance is the kingdom. In verse 34, it says this, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. In other words, they have lived this life, they have honored God, they have loved each other well, they have... They have taken the stranger in. They have fed the hungry. They have clothed those who, who didn't have clothing. And, and they have done this well. Jesus puts them on one side and says, and says, your inheritance is the kingdom. Now, who gets an inheritance? Where, where do inheritance come from? They come from your parents, right? Generally speaking, maybe they come from an uncle or something like that. But, but generally speaking, they might, they'll come from a parent. A parent will pass away or something like that, and they'll, they'll pass on what they own uh, to their children. It's still a common practice today. It was a common practice back then. And so they'll pass those on. And, and so he says, the, your inheritance is the kingdom which is prepared for you since the creation of the world. The sheep who are the blessed... The ones on the right hand will be brought into the kingdom, sharing in the, in the inheritance because, there's, because they are children of God and sealed by the Spirit. And Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 14. And we'll read it together. And it says this, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now listen to this. Now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If we indeed share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. If you put your, when you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, you are brought into the family. You are adopted. You are a son or a daughter of the living God, you, of, the, of, of the king of the universe. You are his son and his daughter, and you become a co-heir with Christ, a brother or a sister with Jesus. I want you to think about that for a second. This is important. We take this far too lightly. As a matter of fact, I'm looking at your faces right now. I don't know if you know, but I can see you. I want you to think about the importance of this truth. 
to be a brother or a sister with the divine, eternal Son of God who took on human flesh and sacrificed himself for you so that you would be righteous and you could stand before the Father as an adopted child of his, a co-heir with Jesus, meaning you receive the inheritance that is due Jesus. You get to receive that truth because you're his brother or his sister. Amen? Amen? That is good news. Co-heirs with him. We literally have the Holy Spirit testifying that we are the children of God and co-heirs with Jesus, the Son of Man, the King. Son of Man, by the way, is a divine title here. The King, as children of God and co-heirs with Christ, we share in the glory of Christ, which, it, which will come to fruition in, fruition in the coming kingdom. We are co-heirs with him. The inheritance is the kingdom. This story is a, is a powerful story. This is a powerful promise for those who are followers of Jesus as he gathers the nations and he looks at the nations and he begins to judge them based on how they treated the least of his brothers and his sisters. If we are his brothers and his sisters, then he's judging the nations based on how they treated us because that is evidence of their own relationship with God. Does that make sense? In other words, the point is not, I'm going to, I'm going to, you have to treat, this isn't some kind of story where, where God's going, you have to treat my people well, and then maybe you can earn your way into heaven. That's not what he's doing. The evidence suggests a pre-existing relationship that the people from those nations already have with the Father. That's what's happening here. How we treat another, each other matters. Do we carry the mark of love? That Francis Schaeffer talks about for one another. Does the world know that we are Christians? Not because we showed up on Sunday morning or handed them an invite to church or brought them to our Bible study or our life group. But do they know that we are Christians because we love one another? That's the mark of the Christian. That's how we love one another. But what do we do in the meantime. I mean, this, this passage is powerful. It's, it's hard-hitting. Jesus doesn't mince words here. This group is going to enter into eternal life with him, and this group is going to enter into eternal punishment. The lake of fire was designed for, for, for Satan, but these people will go there as well, and, and that is significant. There is a separation here, and nobody likes this. As a matter of fact, I was walking out of the gym uh, yesterday, and on my way out, we have, um, we have actually quite several people that, that attend Grace that, that go to the gym, and, and one of them works there, and she, and she happens to be a CCU student as well, and she was talking to somebody about her faith as I was walking out, and it was kind of funny, you know, they all know I'm a pastor and things like that, and so I'm walking up to the counter to leave, and they go, shh, as I walk up, and they look at me, <laughs> and of course, you know, I don't, Sometimes I'm polite and I'm like, oh, it's all right, continue talking about me behind my back and I'll just leave, you know. Other times I'm like, I'll just kind of lean on the counter, you know, like I did yesterday. And I'll go, hey, what's up? <laughs> you know, I like awkwardness sometimes, especially when the other person is the one feeling awkward, amen? <laughs> right? 
And so that's what I decided to do yesterday. So I stopped, and I know both of them pretty well, and I began to talk, and, and, uh, and, and, and uh, one of them, Nicole goes, she goes, well, we were, we were just talking about God and, and, you know, that kind of thing, and the, and the other person kind of looked at me, and I won't tell you who it is, because he could very well end up at church here someday. Um, he's threatened a couple of times, so we'll see if he ever follows through on it. Um, but he's, he, he looked at me, he said, so, so what's, what's your evidence for God? <laughs> man. I just wanted to give him a big hug, but Corona, you know, hands in pockets, all right? Even though I'd just gotten done doing jujitsu, which we hugged each other a lot. But anyways, <laughs> I, I just looked at him, I go, I go, man, there's so much evidence, I don't even know where to start. And he's like, really? Like, yeah, really? And he goes, and, and then they go, well, we were talking about the resurrection, and so uh, we began to talk about the resurrection and, and the evidences, evidences for that. And, and, um, and as we were talking about that, he, he began to ask some different questions, right? Because here's what happens, and so we're going to have lunch, because here's what happens a lot of times. He's a little bit of a skeptic, and so he was asking about this question, that question, and here's what happens in a lot of those conversations. They'll go, what's your evidence for God? And then he'll start to give, share some evidence, and he'll go, what about this over here? And they'll go, what about this over here? And what about this over here? And, and you're going, boom, 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 all over the place, right? You can't keep up because they keep asking you different questions. You never complete a thought. You never really give them anything to really think about because you're never completing the argument, right? So here's a tip. You ready? You say, and that we didn't have time yesterday, but we are getting together for lunch. We're planning it. And what I will say is I will say we're going to deal with one issue. One. You pick the issue. And we're going to deal with that until we're satisfied with the conversation. You don't have to agree with me. But we're going to deal with that and that only. So if you ask me other questions, I'm just going to look at you. I'm going to say, we'll deal with that another time. We're going to deal with this. We're going to stay put on this. And that's how you deal with that. And then you do. You follow through. And you say, when, that, when they start to, oh, what about this? And what about that? And what about this other thing? You just stop and say, wait a minute. We're dealing with this right now. Unless you're satisfied with the answers I gave you, that you understand what I'm saying, and I've had an opportunity to say what I'm saying, then we can move on to the next thing. And you just help people with that. Because otherwise, and I, I've seen this even on TV sh- things and, and whatever, it's just you're all over the place. You never give a complete answer. Well, one of the questions that he asked me was this. So do you think that if a person doesn't put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that because they didn't put their faith and trust in Jesus, that they're all going to hell? You heard that question before? It's a, don't answer the question. It's a bad question. Because that's not why people go to hell. I don't know if you realize this. That's, we're confusing the solution with the problem. We jump to the solution without recognizing the problem. The problem isn't that they didn't put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The problem is that they've got sin in their life, and that sin is dishonoring to God. That it is breaking the laws of God, and that there is punishment. Do that because God is a just God. And, beca- and we want him to be just, don't we? We love justice, don't we? At least until we end up being the one that justice is being exercised against, right? See, it's the wrong question. It's not because they didn't put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ that a person goes to hell. It's because they have sinned, and they have broken the laws of God, and they have offended his character, and they cannot, because of that, spend eternity with him without a price being paid. It just so happens to be that Jesus is the one who paid the price, and that's why we need to put our trust in him. It's the wrong question, but it's a hard question. And it's a question people have. 
And it's a legitimate question in the sense that they're struggling with that, that idea. And because he looked at me and he said, I don't want to serve a God who just wholesale just throws a bunch of people in hell. And I just looked at him and said, I don't want to serve that God either. Because that's not what God does. Something else has happened. This is a hard passage to read and to understand. People have sinned in their life and that is the problem. The solution is Jesus Christ. So how do we live in the meantime? We look forward to this coming kingdom. We, Jesus has, has talked to us about, about loving one another, this idea of how we treat the, the, the one who is hungry, the one who is a stranger, the one who needs clothes. How do we treat these people? And there is a judgment, though, but that judgment is not based on those actions per se, but those actions are evidence of an already existing relationship with him. So here in the now, how do we address this? this excuse me. Here's how we address it. Loving the least is the least we can do. Loving the least is the least we can do. Perhaps our minds, when we read this passage, might go to the homeless person who's on the corner, and they need our love, absolutely. Our minds might go to the immigrant fleeing a horrible situation in another part of the world, And certainly our compassion is appropriately placed there. And we should love and minister to them. Our our mind might go to a whole bunch of different places. And and, and Jesus said we're to not only love our friends, right? But we're to love who? Our enemies, right? And so we're supposed to love everybody in between. It isn't like Jesus in this passage is saying you only have to love the people that that would call themselves Christians or the spiritual descendants, if you will, of, of the disciples. He is saying in other places that you love everybody, that love goes beyond that, right? It's not exclusive to that, but it starts with that. If we cannot love our own, how can we possibly love somebody that is that has not put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ? We are in unique times. No matter how dangerous this coronavirus ends up being, it's caused a huge reaction in our culture. And we're in it for the long haul. I don't know if you stopped and thought through this. But the impact is going to be significant and it is going to be long-lasting. This is not the kind of thing that is going to be gone in a month and then nobody's worrying about it. It is going to impact everything from our economy to the mental health industry, churches. I don't know what I don't know how church is going to look in a month. I have no clue. I don't. We're trying to figure that stuff out. It's very possible we might not meet next week. Here, we will meet somewhere. But it's very possible that these kinds of gatherings might be something that doesn't happen in the weeks or months to come. That's possible. I mean, NBA. NHL, baseball, all these seasons have been canceled, and not just the major leagues. My son's basketball uh, season got canceled in the middle of it. His baseball season's been postponed now, and he just started practicing. Kids aren't going to school this week because gathering in large group is considered to be um, dangerous regarding the coronavirus. So what do we do? How does this all look? Well, here's a couple of things that we're doing. I don't, I don't know how all this has happened so fast that we're still figuring out a lot of the details. But, and I want you to be ready. Everybody grab a pen. 
real quick or a phone that they can type some stuff down on. As a matter of fact, phone's probably better because one of them's going to be a web address. So I want you to do this. So I, I called the, the principal over at Denison on Friday um, and said, hey, how can we help? We know that there's going to be families who now are used to sending their kids to school and now that, and, and maybe it's single parent families or maybe it's a dual income family and mom and dad both have to go to work and all of a sudden they got no place to, for their kid to go. What do we do? And there might be these situations and that was what was kind of in my head when I called and, and I started talking to the principal and I said, I said, how can we help? You're just down the street from us. We want to be of service to you if we can. So here's what we're doing. We've already got part of this figured out for tomorrow. Tomorrow's Monday. And so what's happening at Denison, at least, is the teachers are going into work. Many of them have their own kids, and they have to go into work. And so they're in a situation, if they're young kids, they can't leave them home alone. And so what do they do with them? So they're bringing them here to Grace. And we've got some people from 8.30 to 1.30 tomorrow that are going to watch those kids. We're going to feed them or something. We'll figure all that stuff out tomorrow. (laughs) It's happening fast. This isn't like I had like a couple weeks or something to plan this, right? Like it's just kind of all boom. And so we're kind of, we're being fluid, (laughs) if you will, right? So that's what we're doing tomorrow. We're helping the teachers out. Bring them here. We'll have them here. We're going to provide a safe environment for them. You know, all our people are background checked that are helping and things like that. And so we're, we're going to do that. And the teachers are going to be able to go to school and plan and figure out because they're going to now have to teach in a completely different way. They're doing it online and all these different things. And so that's what we're doing tomorrow. But here's the other thing. There are families, starting with families in our church, who are sitting there going, what am I going to do with my kids? Both parents have to work or a single mom or dad has to work and, and they're trying to figure out how do I go to work and what do I do with my kids? So here's what we're doing and we need your help. And some of you have already said you'd, you would help and so I'm thankful for that. So here's what we're doing. We are putting together from like eight to five this next week, Monday through Friday, just this next week for now at least. And then because the following week is spring break so people probably have plans for that and have figured that piece out, right? So, so this next week, so we're going to provide a place. They can bring their kids here if they, have, if they have to go to work and they can't leave their kids at home. And, you know, as you might imagine, many daycares and things like that will be overrun now and, and people will be trying to figure out. Grandmas and grandpas will probably be helping out and relatives, and that's wonderful. If you have those options, use those options first. But we want to be here for people who are sitting there going, I have nowhere to bring my kid. I've got to do something with them. Where do I go? So we're setting up here at Grace, 8 to 5 every day. We'll watch the kids. We'll feed them lunch. They'll at least get that, right? Maybe we'll even feed them breakfast. I don't know. We'll figure that out. And, and we're going to do that, all right? So here's the thing, though. We need people to watch the kids. We need you, if you are able, to volunteer to come to Grace to watch those kids. We're going to set up tables. They can bring their laptops or, laptops or computers. They can set up. They can do their schoolwork here at Grace. We'll limit the number based on what we can take. And, of course, we're, you know, whatever governmental guidelines are and things like that, whatever the state's telling us we can and can't do, we'll, we'll, we'll abide by that, and we're going to do that. But we need your help. So here's how you help. We're going to put a link up on the screen. There it is. We're, it's Sign Up Genius. I know. I made it as small as I could, right? I know it's like 27 characters, but it was 57, so you're welcome. All right, so, so this is sign-up genius. 
We will email it to you. We'll put it on Facebook. But you can also sign up right now. Here's the, here's the thing. I don't want you to wait till later because I don't want you to forget. I don't want you to forget. You can take a picture of it with your phone if you would like, right? And, and, and go there and sign up for the times that you can help. But do it as soon as possible for this next week because it's, this is fluid and we're going to figure it out. We want to love people well. We want to love people in our community. I anticipate going forward there's going to be a, a lot of people with financial needs. We went out to dinner the last two days in a row, which is pretty rare for us, but we did Friday. The son was at, our son was somewhere else with a friend, and we had like a night without him. We love him. But sometimes it's nice to get away. It's just two of us. So we did that on Friday night. We went to a restaurant that's one of our favorites, and we just sat down. It's usually a restaurant that on a Friday night you have to wait 40 minutes to get into. And we walked right in, sat right down, and lots of tables were empty. That's not, here's the thing I want you to hear. Service industry, people who work in that industry are going to suffer. And there are going to be a lot of other people who are going to be suffering. And we want to do the best we can to help them. So, not only do I want to encourage you to volunteer for this, I want to encourage you to think about giving towards our benevolence fund. You can do that online. We're not collecting it in the back today unless you want to do a memo thing on a check and put it in the box. You can do that. But you can do that online, our deacons, our benevolence fund. That's, we're going to use that in these coming days. It's going to be needed. And so I just want to encourage you, if you are able, be generous with that so that we can be generous and help people through a variety of situations that are coming. This is an opportunity for the church to minister well. Let's take it. Amen? All right, let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much.